Okay, well, someone left their mind. Can you gonna stay? You go to your class? Say yes. Go on with them. Alright, I'll
All right, we'll go ahead and get started in our Bible class. We're about five minutes early today, but we'll, uh, we'll take care of those five minutes or try to, try to do our best with them as well. We've been talking about being an influencer over the past several weeks. This is number nine in our series on being an influencer. Last week, if you were with us, you know that we talked about if we want to be a good influence on our community, then we have to learn to control our temper. And this morning, what I want us to do is spend some time continuing to talk about being an influencer. But as we do that, I want us to understand that we must always seek to walk in humility. Always seek to walk in humility. I think that's a quite important thing for us to understand as we deal with people who are around us. There's a man by the name of Michael McKinney who is the founder of Leadership Now. He founded that back in 1980. Uh, That organization basically teaches leadership skills and talks about how to be a good leader. Uh, Mr. McKinney also is interested in biblical things, especially biblical archaeology, and so he uh, also founded a foundation that studies biblical archaeology and uh, funds a lot of things that has to do with biblical archaeology digs and teaching about it. It's called First Century, or Century One rather, Foundation. He did that in 1996, but what I want us to look at this morning is a quote that he made in regard to leadership and so forth. He said, Our ego hinders our ability to influence more than anything else under our control. Our ego. Ego is a hindrance. Now, if I were to ask you this morning to define ego, how would you define ego? I want you to think about that. Ego. Well, if we really want to define the word ego, the word simply means a person's sense of self-esteem or self-importance, okay? Now, with that definition, every one of us has an ego. We have a feeling about ourselves. We think about how important, or maybe sometimes our ego is is small and we we really don't have a good outlook on ourselves, but every single person has an ego Uh, This morning, every one of us who is here has an ego. Now, the thing about it is, we have come to associate ego with things like saying, well, he or she has a big ego. And so we think about a big ego, and when we're talking about that, we've come to think about it as an inflated feeling of pride in a person's superiority to other people. Okay, and so... When you think of ego, a lot of times, you know, we don't really get down to the, to the real definition of an ego. We immediately jump to what it has come to mean to us, someone who has an overinflated opinion of themselves. Okay? And so that's what a lot of folks think when they think about ego. But uh, I want you to think about something, and uh, it's uh, said, or t- at least pointed out, in a story that's told about a farmer and his young son. They went to a wheat field. And as they were looking out over the wheat field, they could see that there were some of the wheat stalks that were standing up straight, and some were just sort of bent over. And so the boy made the, ob- uh, the observation. He said, you know, those, uh, Dad, those uh, stalks that are standing up straight, they must be the very best. They're they're standing up proud and tall, and so they have to be the best of the wheat field. And so the dad carried his son out into the wheat field and started talking to him about it. Matter of fact, he pulled 
a couple of those that were standing up tall. And you know what? They didn't have very much on the, on the head. But then they pulled some of those that were bent over and leaning over. And, and you know what they found? They were full. They had more on them than any of the others that were standing up. And so what it is that those with the fullest heads, they bowed the lowest. Those stalks were, were the best and not the ones who were the standing up straight. Now that brings me to this point. Most of the time, those who are most humble have the most to give. Those who are the most humble have the most to give. I remember a number of years ago when Marlene had her frame shop in Atwood, we would go to Atlanta and places, you know, go to market, and there would be some of the, the uh, uh, artists who were there. And, and I remember meeting some who, you know, they were just uppity and, you know, they didn't really have a, well, I wouldn't have bought their stuff. Let me just put it that way. You know, I, you, you, it was, I'm not, I'm not saying it was ugly, some people liked it, but, you know, just my opinion. And then there were some who were just good old down-to-earth people. And they tended to be the best artists. They tended to be the one who, ones who were, you know, able to capture things more in detail and make it look better. And so, you know, they didn't brag about it. They didn't boast about it. They didn't seem uppity about it. They didn't seem like they had a great big ego. But they had more to offer. And the same is true in every aspect of life. Generally, the humility of a person is, is, uh, really shows his or her greatness. It's what makes us a great person. Let's go to the Word of God, Proverbs chapter 16, and let's look at verse 19. Proverbs 16 Verse number 19, there the Bible says, It's better to be of a lowly spirit with the poor than to divide the spoil with the proud. That lowly spirit has to do with our humility. And so he says, you know, you may not have a whole lot in this earth. You may not be rich. You may not be able to, uh, to, to, to run in the, in the rich crowd. But if you've got the right attitude, if you've got the right spirit, then you're a whole lot better off. Even if you're associating with the lowly in the world, the poor in the world, to have that lowly spirit, it's better for you to do that than to have great riches. You know, if, if it costs you your reputation with other people, if it costs you the way that they feel about you and, and the way that they look at you and, and you've earned that, you know... Uh, degree of reputation, you know, that's not a good one. Uh, it's better not to have much in this world than to, than to lose your good name, to lose the humility that you have. Now, what does it mean to be humble? What does it mean to be humble? Let's look at a few definitions that we found, can find in uh, dictionaries. According to Merriam-Webster Dictionary, the word humble is defined as not proud or haughty, not arrogant or assertive. That's the definition from Merriam-Webster. Here's another one, Cambridge.org, not proud or not believing that you are important. That's the idea of humility. CollinsDictionary.com, a humble person is not proud and does not believe that they are better than other people. And then here's one that's not on the screen, but uh, I have it on my sheet. 
It's from thefreedictionary.com. Marked by meekness or modesty in behavior, attitude, or spirit. Not arrogant or prideful, showing deferential or submissive respect. I like that one. And I'm not sure why I didn't get it on the screen. I just noticed this morning that I hadn't made a copy of that one. But let me read it again for you. Marked by meekness or modesty in behavior, attitude, or spirit. Not arrogant or prideful, showing deferential or submissive respect. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about a person who is humble. And so, in reality, the word humble means low-lying, to make low, lowliness of mind, or low of, of low estate. You know, it's not the one who's on the top tier, it's the one who is on the bottom tier. The low-lying one. Now, when we're talking about humility and how it affects our influence on our community, the people who are around us, even the ones who are uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ. When we're talking about humility, there are some characteristics that people always have. And uh, they always should have them because they're biblical characteristics that, that we turn and find in the Word of God. Okay? And so what are a couple of these? I, I, I really just want to share two this morning. Number one this morning, when we're talking about our attitude of being humble and characteristics that humble people have, one of them is you count others better than yourself. You count others better than yourself. That, that's, a, that's the idea of humility. Now, where do we find that? Well, let's look at Philippians chapter 2 at verse 3. Okay? That's not something I just made up. But here's what Paul wrote. He said, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, there's our word, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about being humble. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Again, that's not Mark talking, that's Paul talking, and that's not just Paul talking, that's Paul writing by inspiration, and that, so in other words, that's God talking. He said, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Now, let me ask you some questions, and I want you to answer them in your mind. Who among us has not at some time at least desired to display himself or herself in some way? You know, uh, think about it in this way. Who in a conversation along the way in their life has not desired to, uh, to show his or her wit or their uh, power to win an argument? Uh, who among us has not thought about doing that? You know, we want to one-up somebody. You know, we, we want to show them we're just a little bit smarter than they are. Who plays the piano without the desire of commendation? In other words, you don't want somebody saying, that's the worst sounding you know, piece of music I've ever heard. Uh, not only that, but who builds a house and wants to hear, that's the most shoddy workmanship I have ever seen? Anybody? Anybody want to hear that? Uh, who, uh, who buys a, a dress or some kind of garment and wants to hear, that's the ugliest dress I've ever seen in my life? Now, ladies... How many of you would want to go and do your shopping wherever you do your shopping and come home and you're so proud of that dress and then when you come in the door at the church building somebody is just bold enough to say, that's the ugliest thing I've ever seen anywhere. 
Okay? Maybe it's a good friend who, who decides to tell you that. Anybody, y'all raise your hand now if you want that to happen. You can raise your hand if you want to. I don't think anybody's going to raise their hand. Okay? Who, who wants to write a book and hear that's the worst book I've ever read? You know, who, who would want to do that? Uh, I know as a preacher, I don't want to hear when people, when you shake them out, you know, as they say, going out the, the, the back door, that's the worst sermon I've ever heard. You know, we all like to be applauded in some ways, don't we? We, we want to hear some, uh, some commendation. We want people to, uh, to praise us. And sometimes we may say that's our dirty little secret, that we like to hear that. But as you think about that, I want us to understand that we have some other dirty little secrets as well. I, I, I ask you these questions to set up this part of it. Okay? You know what? We can see within our own hearts, each one of us, and we can probably see that there is somewhat of a corruption within ourselves. In other words, we realize that we're not perfect, that we've got these flaws. And I'm not saying, you know, having some praise along the way is a bad thing. That's, that's not the point, you know, when I was asking these things a minute ago. But, but we've got that dirty little secret. We like to hear we've done good, and because of that we have probably some others. And, and we see these things, and when we look inside we know that, that there are things that we probably should change in our life. Most all of us can see those kinds of things. But on the other hand... We can only see the outside of other people. We can see on our inside, but the only thing we can see about another person is their outside, right? I mean, are there any mind readers in here? Any prophets? You know, people who can just look inside a person's mind and know exactly. Sometimes we may think we know exactly what they're thinking, but probably in reality it's the opposite of what we thought they were thinking. Okay? We can only see the outside. And because we can only see the outside, you know what we have to do? We have to give them the benefit of the doubt. We have to assume that they don't have the same defects deep down inside that we have. And you know what? As a result of that, I have to assume that that other person is better than me. Now what did Paul say? Count others more significant than yourselves. The way I view another person a lot of times is the way that I will treat that other person. And if I'm looking at that other person and saying, well, you know what? You're worse than I am. You've got more flaws than I do. You think worse thoughts than I think. You say worse words than I say. You don't live your life nearly as good as I live mine. How in the world could I count that person more significant than myself? Now, there are a lot of people in our world that it's obvious that they need to make a change, right? You ever known anybody who needed to make a change? 
We see those who are addicted to drugs. We see those who curse. We, we see a lot of things. And we know they need to make a change in their life. But we're not to be haughty with those people. But in humility, what do we do? We seek to help them make the change that they need to make in their life. Not because we're better than they are, but because they have a soul that God has given them that needs to be saved. But as I'm looking out around me and I see people in my life, I need to understand that I have flaws just like they have flaws and I need to give them a benefit of the doubt. Now, here's another point that I want you to to grasp and get hold of. I want you to understand that the Bible never teaches us that that we need to let this idea get out of balance. Uh, it, It needs to be within reason and within balance in accordance with the Word of God. He's not saying that we don't count ourselves as valuable, but we have to consider ourselves that we are worth something. We're not worthless and we're not incapable of doing things. We have to count ourselves as being able to do that. But we must have what's called healthy self-esteem. A healthy ego. Now, look at the book of Matthew chapter 22 at verse 39. The first, he said, you've got to love God. And the second great command, this is Jesus speaking, is like it. You shall love your neighbor. But Jesus didn't stop there, did He? As yourself. Now let's not think about necessarily the neighbor part this morning. I want to think about right now the last part. As yourself. God never said that we're not to love ourselves. God never said that we're not to have, you know, a healthy ego like I'm talking about. Matter of fact, He says we are to love ourselves and to respect ourselves and to understand the value and the worth that we have, each individual person. But we can't let that get out of balance either. We can't let that ego run wild, just as we can't let, you know, the idea that, we, that we're worthless run in our mind. A lot of folks have that, and they suffer from that. There's probably more people who suffer from that than have a great big ego, okay? But we have to look at ourselves. We are of value. Matter of fact, we need to remember John 3, verse 16, in relation to ourselves. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, or only Son according to ESV, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. Who did God love? God loved the world. Now you can raise your hand on this one. How many of you are a part of the world that God loved? You're part of the world that God loved. That makes you valuable. It makes you valuable enough that Jesus would come and die for you. Okay? And so the idea is that 
that we have to have a, a, a righteous self outlook. Okay, we have to have a good self esteem, a healthy self esteem. But even with all of that said, and even though we do have that healthy self self esteem, we have to remember what Paul wrote about considering others, esteeming others more highly than ourselves. Yes, we have flaws. Yes, other people have flaws. But we must make the assumption in in our own mind in order to help us out to look at them and view them as maybe not as bad as I am rather than looking at them and saying, well, I know he's got to be worse than I am. That's the wrong attitude. But then number two, another characteristic of humble people is that you put the needs of others before your own. You put the needs of others before your own. Now, let me just say before we explore this anymore, that is hard, right? That's hard to do. But the very next verse that Paul wrote, that we know is the next verse, is found in Philippians chapter 2 at verse 4. We looked at verse 3 a second ago. Verse 4 says, Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Put our needs, put the needs of others before our own. You know, there are some things that this verse doesn't require. It doesn't require us to be busybodies. It doesn't require us to impose our advice where it's not sought. Even if it's good advice, it doesn't require that. It doesn't require us to to find fault with things that are exclusively the business of others. You know, some things really and truly are not our business. Now, I want to illustrate that by something that happened when I was a teenager. Okay? Many of you may know that my dad and granddad were in the used car business, and they would buy vehicles along the way, and... One time my dad, when I was a teenager, bought a car to put out on the lot to sell. And it was a 1977 Matador Barcelona. As a teenager, I thought that was the ugliest car that had ever been made. And I said to him, nobody will buy that car. It is too ugly. Now, teenagers, you know... Back in my day, they, they, we still had muscle cars and things like that, and, and that definitely didn't fit the bill. Okay, it was uglier than that one, you know, on this on this thing here. And I remember Daddy saying, "You know what? That's exactly what somebody's looking for. That, that that's exactly the car that they want." And sure enough, there was this young lady that she thought that was the best car that had ever been made. And today, I still think that's her business. It's not me. I still don't like the looks of them. But that was her business. And sometimes there are things that are not our business. And so when we're looking to the needs of others, it's, there are times when it's not our, not our business. Now, not only that, but it doesn't require us to, to be gossips about the concerns of others. All of those things... But you know what? There are some things that are demanded if we're going to look to the needs of others in the way that we should. We're to look to the temporal concerns, the, uh, the needs of the sick, 
Those who are poor, those who are orphans, those who are widows, we're to look to their needs. And we're to try to help them fill their needs. You know, the Bible in the book of Acts talks about how the early church took care of the widows. We understand in the book of James that James wrote about taking care of those who were fatherless, the orphans. We understand that uh, uh, in the book of uh, uh, Timothy, 1 Timothy, that Paul writes about widows who have no family to take care of them, again, that the church is to take care of them. Again, in James, we, we hear of those who are sick calling for the elders. Uh, there are a number of places in the Bible that teach us about taking care of the poor. The book of Acts, and you know, it's full of, uh, of passages in regard to that. And so we are to look to the physical needs, the temporal needs, the, the needs that they have in life and help to take care of them. And you know what? Generally speaking, when people see another person in need, uh, maybe they've lost uh, a home by fire or maybe by a tornado or, 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 or something that has caused them to have a need, you know, we are quick to open up our pocketbooks, right? We like doing that. We like helping. And that's a good thing. I'm, not, I'm definitely not speaking out against it. But we also have to look to their spiritual needs as well. And it's easier to get folks to open up a pocketbook and help with the physical needs that a person has a lot of times than it is to get them to be concerned about the spiritual needs. But you know what? Either way, we are, to, we are demanded, we are commanded to look to the needs of others, to put their interests before our own. J.W. Uh, Shepherd, rather, in the, the Gospel Advocate Commentary, has this statement. He said, This means more than to look to the material good of others as well as yourselves. Look to their conditions, surroundings, and influences brought to bear upon them and endeavor to see things as they see them. And it will enable you to sympathize more with them in their trials and troubles, and you will come to esteem them more highly. In other words, it might be summed up in this way. You know, we would do well to put ourselves in their shoes and to see exactly what another person is going through. Have you ever heard this statement? Well, if it were me, I would. And then you hear some kind of remedy that, that, that shows you to be much more superior than the way someone else has acted. Have you ever heard that? Well, when we've done what Philippians chapter 2, verse 4 says, then uh, we're probably not going to be making statements like that, at least in a haughty way, but we'll adopt the true characteristic of humility. But then in the few minutes that we have remaining, what do we gain by being humble? What do we get from it? What, what good does it do us to be humble? Let me share with you three things this morning. Number one, when we're humble, we gain the ear of God. We gain the ear of God. What do you mean by that? Look at Psalm 10, verses 16 through 18. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from His land. O Lord, 
You hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless, the oppressed, so that, uh, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror. So that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. Okay? Now what I want you to focus on is that part in verse 17. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. If you were to go to the New King James, the King James, or the New American Standard, Lord, Thou hast heard the desire of the humble. King James Version. New King James. Lord, You have heard the desire of the humble. Remember, afflicted in the English Standard. New American Standard. O Lord, You have heard the desire of the humble. That's the real idea behind those who are afflicted. Those who have afflicted themselves in such a way that they're humbled. And so, humble. But notice that when we do that, the Bible says that the Lord will incline, in New American Standard, the Lord will incline His ear. In other words, we gain the ear of the Lord. They will hear, He will hear. The word hear is a primitive root. To hear intelligently is the meaning of it. Uh, to offer his ear with the implication of attention. In other words, God will pay attention to our needs. Again, remember, Lord, you have heard the desire. You hear the desire of the humble. Not only do we gain the ear of the Lord, but we also gain the hand of God. Again, looking at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves with humility. That's what we're talking about. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that He, at the proper time, may exalt you. Which would mean more to you? For a student to say, well, I was taught by, and then have your name put in there. Or a teacher to say, your name, and say, that was the finest student I've ever had. Which would mean more? A builder to say, I built a great and beautiful building, or for a group of architects to lavish words of praise on the builder, saying, that's the finest building that we've ever seen. Which would mean more for a Christian to say, I'm a righteous person, or for God to put His mighty arm around you on the judgment day, with all who have ever lived... And for him to say, this is my son, this is my daughter, and I'm awfully proud of him or her. Humble yourselves in humility. Clothe yourselves in humility toward one another. Humble yourselves, and at the right time, God will extend his hand and raise you up. And I can't think of a better time than on the day of judgment. For him to raise me up. And then, not only that, but we gain the kingdom of God.
Gain the kingdom of God. Matthew 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those are the humble. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then again, in Isaiah chapter 57, at verse 15, there the Bible says, For thus says the Lord, one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in a high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. We gain the kingdom of God. Many of you may remember the name James Madison. He was the president of the United States for eight years. He lived from 1751 to 1836. And following his eight years of being the president of the United States, he retired to his Virginia plantation. And according to historians, he wasn't... Uh, satisfied with simply going back and retiring and being a, a farmer, you know, or at least having people you know, working under him. But he decided after eight years of being president of the United States that he would be president of the University of Virginia. He would be president of a college. Boy, that must have been a different thing because even at that time, that college couldn't have been that big it was founded by Thomas, Thomas Jefferson, and it's all still getting new, or really new. But this man knew how to, be, to step up because he knew how to step down. He knew how to be humble. And then I would ask you this morning, what kind of humility must it have taken for Jesus to have stayed on the cross? Mark chapter 15, verse 31 so also the chief priest with scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. But the Bible also said that Jesus said, When I'm lifted up, I'll draw, all, draw uh, lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. That word is the, the same word as in the book of John, chapter 21, at verse 6, where they caught the Great fish, they hauled them in, and in Acts chapter 21 at verse 30, where they dragged Paul out of, the, uh, out of the temple. Now, metaphorically, what is meant by the word that Jesus uses of drawing all people to him is that he would draw them by inward power, he would lead, he would impel. So Jesus, by his moral and spiritual influence, would win over the, to himself the hearts of all. And so if Jesus could be an influencer through the demonstration of His humility even in staying on the cross, so can we. We can win others as well. As an influencer, do you possess the humility it takes to be a good influence on people? All of us need to answer that. And if we need to make changes, we need to do that. Let's close with a prayer. O righteous and merciful Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for all that you do. Father, we're thankful for this period of class time that we can open up your Word and study from it. Continue to be with us that we can come to an understanding of the way you want us to live and that Heavenly Father will abide by those principles as we live. Help us, Heavenly Father, to be a good influence on all who are around us. For this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.